Hey Zen friends, welcome to Crazy Zen Life. I'm your host, Brittany Swan. And I'm your host, Shannon Kessler. Join us as we navigate life on and off our yoga mats. This is a podcast about mom life, boss life, and body life. Real conversations about self-discovery and the journey of becoming more mindful in this crazy Zen life. on a Monday, but dropping on a Wednesday. What? Ooh, yeah, that's right. It always, like the week always just looks so weird because I'm like, what what day is it? One, (laughs) I never know. Two, I'm like, we used to always record on Mondays and now we just record when we can. So it's like, what? What? I don't know. What's happening? I think that has taught us so much. Yeah. About ourselves Mm -hmm. and just be like, okay, we're not going to work out today. (laughs) Not going to do it. (laughs) It's a panty. (laughs) It's a panty problem. (laughs) pandemic for those new listeners well welcome back friends um we have new listeners lately lots of new listeners and followers and just a lot of excitement i'm so happy that you guys are you know choosing to press play on our little podcast well if you guys don't know i'm Brittany swan i'm shannon kessler and we're so glad you're here and this is a great one for you to drop in on too yes and stay yeah (laughs) um we talk about some yeah we're we're diving in today on something that i think all parents uh really can relate to we are going deep in the world of puberty today but we brought an expert pubescence yes <laughs> <laughs> we brought an expert in um vanessa kroll bennett who is the founder and owner of dynamo girl and she's going to tell you more about her story in just a moment so i will let her do that but this is a topic that we are both on the cusp of having to really dive into with our own children. Um, mm-hmm. I have a 10-year-old girl and an 8-year-old girl. And Brittany has a 9-year-old son and an 8-year-old son and then a 5-year-old daughter. So mm-hmm. we are we're right there. We're there. We're th- right there. But I don't know about you. And I feel like our listeners are going to agree. But after you hear this conversation, you're taken back to like, and even during listening to it, you might be taken back to the times, you know, what you went through, your narrative, your, your story, your baggage, and she'll talk about that. But it's so interesting Mm -hmm. because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, like it's, it's just a different time. And I'm so glad that we are more open with talking about these kind of things, but it does take me back. It takes me back. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like whatever conversation I should have had I didn't right like it yeah. was I mean I think I found out mostly through the birds and the bees like through a Cosby show and then the rest of it I was just like pieced together as best I could like yeah. it was, I don't remember having like a conversation I think we talked more about like Santa Claus than anything else like you know <laughs> like like that was like the big groundbreaking conversation right. we, we definitely didn't have a lot of in my house um open conversations about puberty your body sex like I don't remember having like the talk I mean I do remember like being in school and I always felt like it was so shameful to talk about even in the classroom like Mm -hmm. I just kind of felt like even my teachers weren't 100% comfortable talking about it and I always remember that being so odd I'm like but you're so proficient in you know all the other topics that you're supposed to teach but everybody seems so uneasy to talk to middle schoolers, you know, about their bodies. And I just always remember thinking like, why is that so weird? I remember we were separated. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> boys had to have one class. Girls had another class. Um, I remember watching a lot of after school specials, which fucked me up for life. And I feel like that's a whole different <laughs> conversation to have in another episode. Um, but I remember thinking, I'm like, wow, being exposed 
to one thing and being taught about something are completely different. Mm. And I think my exposure led my mind down a very imaginative path before I actually ever learned what the language was, what the acts were, what any of this really meant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do feel like our sex education was like fear-based. Oh my gosh. It was more about like, you're going to be called this. Right. This mm-hmm. will be you. This will happen to you. Yeah. You'll get this disease. Don't you know. <laughs> don't have sex unless you want to ruin your life. I feel like that was like because you're going to get pregnant. And if that happens and then, then your whole life is just completely, you know, wasted. And I was like, oh, OK, well, can't do that. Like, I don't want to waste my life. But looking back on it, I'm like, this is a really one dimensional convert like way of having this conversation that should have never been allowed to have been taught never to anyone. So like I, I, I do feel very lucky that we are in a time where it's, we have the space to be more open. There right. are more, you know, informational, like the, the material is just better. Uh, the access to it is, you know, leaps and bounds. Um, but even like the, I feel like the conversation around it, like we don't, I don't know. Like, I just don't feel like even my kids right now don't feel embarrassed to talk about it. Now that doesn't mean that they won't ever, but like right now at eight and 10, they're not. And I'm like, okay, okay. But I think that that's also, we just, as parents, we're just, we know we want to be more comfortable in these conversations. So we're willing to have them. doesn't make them easy, Mm -mm. but I do think that Vanessa's approach to this um, is going to give you a lot of like tangible tips. Um, we we said this from like day one with her, like she just breaks things down and it's just very easy to digest. And it's not, you know, she, she lets you have that space to make mistakes and, you know, but she really encourages you to have these conversations, but I just, I love it. I can't say enough great things about her. I'm so excited for you guys to listen. I, I really took a lot away from these conversations and, and like anything that we put out, you can take what serves you, leave what doesn't. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is not meant to just serve you. Like you can kind of draw different things. Like, you know what? I really like that. I think mm-hmm. that that approach might work for my kid. Or I have a kid like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. You know, it's not just 100%. A one size fits all. Yeah. Um, so yesterday after the podcast, I was just on a on a high. Yeah. I was on like a, on a high. I was like, yes. And I went home and I was, the kids weren't home. Uh-huh. Go in and Landon just got home from wherever. And so I'm like, listen to what I, what I know. And then I'm just regurgitating everything that I just heard. Yeah. And then he's like, well, and in his fatherly moment mm-hmm. wanting, you know, because this is kind of his fatherly rite of passage. He's like, well, you know, are you okay? And this is his words. Are you okay with me now approaching the boys if they ask questions about puberty? Because we'd always wanted to like, I'm going to let you know when the conversations happen. So mm-hmm. you, if you get questions, you're going to be prepared. Yeah. But we do think it, you know, with, with the boys, they're going to come to Landon first, mm-hmm. of course. And so I was like, I was like, absolutely. I was like, and here's what I've learned. And it was almost like, you need to do it this way. Yeah. And I think that that was the wrong way to go about it. Because I think that me saying, I think he was coming to me as, I'm ready to have this conversation. I've been thinking a lot about it. I will take your guidance. But can I, can I take this on? And yeah. I was like telling him, and you need to do it like this. Right. <laughs> So I do want to say that one thing. Yeah. I kind of messed that up because I kind of got an attitude about it. And we got a little bit of argument. He was, he was like, well, what, you, what what, the fuck? Like, I'm just yeah. trying to like, I want to talk to my sons about it. I was like, well, you should do it this way. Because right. <laughs> he's like, well, who gives you the right? To-? So it just to prep it, just to go gently, because it is a topic when you 
no matter what partner, spouse, parent is doing it, it it, it stirs up some emotions in yeah. that person. Like it goes back to their narrative, like I just mm-hmm. said. So, I mean, I, I just go gently. Yeah, be you, be be gentle with the person you're talking about this with too, mm-hmm. because as you may have listened and you would have already had the prep and you've already gone through the internal work, maybe right. your partner has not. Yeah, and I think it's it's worth having an open conversation with your partner of. Like, but I think honestly, I don't think you did it wrong at all. I think bringing to the table what you as a parent want to have involved in the conversation is completely valid. And I think yeah. it's, you know, I don't again, there's no I was like rough. I went, right in, I went in. Yeah, <laughs> I went in a little yeah. guns blazing. <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't think that that's again, like I, I think to your credit, like you're a concerned parent like you you just had this conversation with the woman that this is what she does this is what she talks about and it's like it's the proven science behind you know why having the conversation is important mm-hmm. and like how to have it and you know I, I think everybody has their own you know methods of and what they feel comfortable doing but I, I also think that it's like it's worth a listen of like oh okay got it and maybe you you unpack some of his baggage of like well why do you feel that way like why yeah. like I'm not saying that this is what he does, but like if you're uncomfortable using like the terminology, the, you know, the anatomy of like the body, like, well, why is that? You know, we always say like, well, ask yourself that question if like, yeah, why is that? Why do I feel that way? Why do I feel weird about this? But yeah, is it weird? Is it weird? Is Is it weird? Yeah. Um, But I took away a lot of things and even like I just said, like going back through, like I felt like, wow, going back to when I first got my period Mm -hmm. and when I, you know, and it's such a big time. Yeah. And, but I do want to normalize it. Yeah. Within our culture. I think it's so, it's, although we see commercials and all this kind of stuff and, but it's not really that normal. Like it's not really that talked about, like all the things it's like, it's like hidden and whispered. Right. And that's what I don't want to happen in my, in my house because I mean, we've got poor Dan. I mean, he's outnumbered, but he, I'm also like, listen, it is part of your job to be able to use the word vagina in front of your child to talk about periods in front of your kids. If your kids need you to go get tampons, it is your responsibility. Got to go. And he's like, absolutely. I mean, this, I can't not do it. He's like, I don't love the fact that I have to do it. And you know, but I'm like, I will do it because that's what my kids need for me to do. And I'm like, okay, great. By the way, my sister-in-law, Misty should thank me hand over fist for breaking my brother. (laughs) Yes, I was such a, I was such a garbage human. And, um, quick story. Uh, this is cause this has to break down when I, when I got my period, I was almost 15, but I was home with a stomach bug and I was throwing up immensely mm-hmm. and I got my period as I'm sick. Yeah. And Chad was home <laughs> and he had to go get tampons for me. I will never forget this as long as I live. And maybe he has, but like, and he was like, I don't know what to do. What is it? And we're trying, my mom yeah. was out of town and it was so like, and then, and like I was like, I don't know how to use a tampon. <laughs> so he's like, read the directions. And I was like, I don't know. I feel, you know, when, you, when yes. you're sick, you're like so, and you're like weak. And I'm like, I right. can't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so like- he comes back with tampons <laughs> and fried chicken. <laughs> God love him. Because that's what a good brother does. That's what a good brother does. Right. But <laughs> even, and then we lived together later on down the road. Yes. And again, like I'm not a super clean person so i would yeah. just leave, like leave my tampons in the garbage like pretty that's so gross but hey you know what hey break them in break them in and i honestly i have two thoughts to this 
you shouldn't have to wrap your pads or your tampons up like a mummy to throw them in a trash can. You know what I mean? Like, you just, I mean, I'm not sticking it on the wall. Right. Like, it's <laughs> a trash can, for God's sakes. And this happens everywhere. I mean, even in the women's restroom, I still see women who, again, it comes with that like shame of like, wrap it up so nobody knows. We all fucking know what happens. We, we all know, know what that we, little canister is we, for. When you see the pillow of toilet paper in the trash can, we know what that is. And you know what? We got it too. It's all good. So can yeah. we just normalize that? Can we just like throw your trash in the trash can and not have to be shameful about what you just threw in there? Like, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we doing? I mean, like, I'm not posting. I'm not wiping stuff on the stall. Right. No. I just... It's a trash can. It's a trash can. Where else do you want me to put it? And why do I have to hide it when it's in the fucking trash? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And, well, uh, were you, like, anxious and excited to get your period? Uh, I don't... I I think I was indifferent. Okay. I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what I... I just didn't know. Right. Anything. I was so ready. Because I was, like, the last one of my friends. I was... I think it was, like, eighth grade... 14 um but I was like oh when is that gonna happen when is that gonna? and I remember when it happened being so excited because I was like does this mean I'm finally gonna get boobs so are they gonna come in <laughs> 41 no. I'm still waiting for them to happen <laughs> just they never did Whoops. it's that boat sealed so I was just so excited because I was like yes I'm finally in the club and then I get in the club I'm like this is bullshit like, I don't want to be in here anymore oh. this is not fun <laughs> the moods alone I remember just being very fearful of starting in an inopportune place, oh, which yeah. I mean, actually my story is kind of, it's just funny, yeah. but it's actually really baller. It's a really great way to start because yeah. it was no shame and you know, yeah, um, at school or at, a, at a, an event or at a practice, yeah. it, that never happened. So thankfully, but that was, I think I was fearful in that, but I don't remember being excited. I, yeah. I remember just being like, I don't know. I, I just, it's just I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. I mean, I fall off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I die? I still get nervous now. Like, if I have a leak, you know, through my tampon, I'm like, oh, is this the day? Is this going to happen? And I swear, I don't know why this happens, but I can usually pinpoint when I'm going to get my period because I always want to wear white pants. Yep. Like, I, I, I'm like, I don't know why. That's where I just like, oh, yeah, white would be cute today. And I'm like, oh, God, no. The amount of times I've had my period during derby. Would mm. I think it's every time? Yeah. I'm like, God damn it! I know it. It does kind of. And then you're like thing. so excited to wear like these amazing outfits, but you're like so yeah. careful. You're like, am I bleeding? Am right. I bleeding? Am, am I bleeding? bleeding? Yeah. Am I bleeding? It, on vacations, you're like, <gasps> is my string hanging out? Like, I hope that's. Oh, not I happening. know. Oh, that's. There's it, no. You know what? And then, again, there we go. Shame. Like, shame. I, I would. That is the toilet paper on someone's foot. Like, just tell them. Uh huh. Yeah, you know when it's really not an opportune time to have your string hang out, when you cheer. And you're in a stunt and your legs pulled up by your ear <laughs> that, and you're like, did that happen? Oh, to oh you? my God. Yes. Stop. Yes. You poor thing. <laughs> I mean, it's mortifying. More, and if there are any cheerleaders out there and you've been down that road, I feel you. You, I've, you are seen. Awful. I stand with you. But <laughs> God, it's so awful. Oh my gosh. That is okay. Honestly, yeah. that <laughs> might be the most embarrassing. I'm, I can't. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. And then when you coach cheerleading for years and years, I mean, I've seen my <laughs> oh, fair share and I'm like, oh, hon, okay, here, here my, give me your little tip. <laughs> like, you just got to squeeze that thing in there. <laughs> but it's like, you know, but it's also girl code. It's like, boo, mm-hmm. strings out. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> the zipper down. Right. You got to, you, you just, you can't. I really wonder if like, 
males tell other males like hey dude like you have a boner or something like that like i feel like the guy would know or an erection like, or whatever <laughs> like yeah but like is it do they i don't i feel like they do i feel like you would know i don't know but maybe I mean, like I don't have okay, that anatomy. maybe they're really trying sure. to, okay some, sometimes you're trying to hide it and you're not doing a very you good job you can't get up so it's like i'm a, you know what chad i'm gonna bring you your beer i'm not gonna let you get out of the couch i know what's happening yeah that pillows perfectly placed <laughs> but again, right. I, I mean i don't know maybe that's their tampon string i don't know yeah, they're like, hey, let me stand in front of you or something or stand behind you. I don't know, like stand, stand somewhere. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I just wonder if guys do that. They should. I'm sure they do. I'm sure that there's a code. There's an unwritten. Right. Like eyebrow raise. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, think about your grandma. Think about your grandma. <laughs> I don't know. Slight pivot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished Firefly Lane mm-hmm. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I did want to uh, touch on this because it's a, it's a good one about girlfriend code and stuff. Okay. Now, I finished the whole season. I'm not going to do any spoilers. It's a great show about friendship. Okay. Um, I'm not a huge Katherine Heigl fan, mm-hmm. but this made me kind of get over that hump. Okay. Like, yeah. she's just different, and you can tell she's trying to make a comeback, so I'm like, you know what? Everybody everybody deserves a second chance. Let's okay. I mean, not that, I mean, she's just never been a warm, fuzzy, like, yeah. I can't wait to watch you kind of person. But um, I, I really enjoyed the show. Season two is coming out oh, mm-hmm. um, soon, or they're, they're making it. But it is a book. I didn't know it was a book. I didn't know it was a book either. So I'm okay. gonna, I think I'm excited about reading the book. I mean, the book and the show are not going to mirror each other. Mm-hmm. But I do highly recommend it. Okay. And we've also been watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> did we watch it again? I, we watched the first two seasons, or the first two episodes. And then I kind of was like, eh. I mean, I've heard great things about it, but I'm like, there's other things right now that are piquing my interest yeah. that I'm more excited to watch. So I think I'll I'll go back down the Cobra Kai lane, but I'm not there right now. I was not excited to watch it at all. Mm-hmm. At all. I was like, this is, oh God. You know, like I've yeah. seen Karate Kid. And yeah. But it gets really good. And I think it's just, it, it's funny. It pokes fun at the mentality in the 80s. Yeah. And so one guy is stuck in the 80s. And right. then one guy, you know, Ralph Macchiato is not. Yeah. And like he like, you know, come through himself and then um oh what's his name uh the blonde guy yeah the, the villain uh-huh he uh he kind of like stays in the 80s and it's really funny so it's like a duality of mentalities and right like you see one like kind of breaking that those all those stigmas and stuff and but he's still holding strong to it and it's yeah it's it's humorous it's like it's funny okay. i honestly i like it more than i thought i would yeah um y- you should watch it, it and it's also like pretty good to watch with the kid. I mean, it's nothing's really that bad in it. So yeah, I've, I mean, I've I've had I feel like my Facebook feed sometimes is just full of like Cobra Kai, and I'm like, oh, is it? Wow, yeah, I know it's weird. Oh, um, we've been well, I'll say we, but my husband, as soon as you put the TV on and it's nighttime, <laughs> he's just sneeze reason. But <sighs> Stanley Tucci searching for Italy is my new obsession. It's on CNN. Oh, the guy off God. of um, Devil Wears Prada. Yes, I am obsessed with Stanley Tucci. Actually, the girls are obsessed with him too because he's in quite a few like character roles that they know from movies. Um, we haven't watched it with him, but it's definitely a family. Fun- you could do it, but like I am, I I want to go to Italy and just eat my way through it. Oh. That's what he's doing right now, and I'm learning about like the history of pizza, which is quite interesting. Wow, to just. I mean, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but I will definitely totally watch, watch it. I love. I, I, I would definitely watch it. Watch it. <laughs> watch it. Um, and last night we were in Tuscany. 
like I gotta go. I gotta go to Tuscany. I gotta do it. Dude, you know what I was looking up last night? Mine must have been like mind melding. Chicken cacciatore. I looked that up last night. Mm. Randomly, I was like, I need to see how to make this. <laughs> I don't know why, like it entered my brain. And it's like an old Italian dish. It's like a yeah. comfort food. Uh-huh. And I'm yeah. like, for some reason, it entered my brain. And I, I looked it up and I was like, yeah. I'm going to make this this week because I've because I've never made it. Right. And I'm all about some noodles and some Italian. But yeah. actually, I'm going to serve it over mashed potatoes. But because it says you can yeah serve it over anything really mm-hmm. it's like a goulash yeah <laughs> but chicken the that's crazy i yeah. oh that's my one of my goals in life is to eat my way through italy oh it, it, yes i will be happy to be your friend on that trip and <laughs> eat my way through it too the pasta alone i oh want to taste real real pasta, pasta. Yeah, it's insane that's what it's I want. Insane. I want it to be. I want gnocchi too. I want. I want all of it. Mm-hmm. The caccia di pepe. Oh, oh so God. good. So I can't wait. Okay. okay, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's really good. It's a good show. And he's his so, delivery is like humorous he's fantastic. Too. And he's um he is Italian. Like both sides of the family mm. are Italian. They lived in Italy for a little bit when he was in high school. Um, so I mean, so he speaks Italian, and but it's just. Seeing it through his eyes is great. I think he's absolutely adorable. I mean, he is adorable. A big, big crush on the tooch, but like, man. Do you remember him and um, Julia to Julia? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's mm-hmm. where else I fell in love with yeah. him. I mean, he's That's just so name. great in yeah. that, that role, too. He's so good. Um, he was in a, we just watched a movie called Witches. Anne Hathaway's in it. Um, it's on oh, Netflix. Man. And it's a kid, like, we watched it with the kids. It's a um, Roald Dahl film uh book that they made into a film and he plays uh one of the main characters on it and he's so great and my kids are they love they loved him in the movie um but he's oh, great. okay well so i'll much. check it out we'll yeah. check out our, our rex yeah. check out this episode yes enjoy Shh. vanessa Kroll bennett she is absolutely fantastic and let us know what you think about the episode yeah do you know what i've been loving lately tell me i love walking into my closet knowing that i have just the right colors that are perfect for me how that happened, Shannon? Well, I'm glad you asked, Brittany. It's because I had a consultation with House of Color Louisville, and it was the best experience, hands down, that I've ever had when it comes to fashion. House of Color Louisville teaches you how to put your best face forward. Megan has a great saying, I'm not here to teach you how to dress like me. I'm here to teach you how to dress like you. And during the color analysis process, you will see yourself in the most fine colors on you. Look healthy and vibrant when you know you lo- your wow colors. You will leave knowing what looks best on you and which colors are not doing you any favors. Clean out your closet with confidence with tips on how to implement these colors in your wardrobe moving forward. Exactly. Our style analysis takes into account your body architecture and personality to help you find your easiest, most flattering, and most authentic wardrobe ever. Learn how to shop in a sustainable way and avoid that fast fashion. That's important. Stay a part of the House of Color community for shopping tips, closet cleanouts, and more after your analysis to make it easy to maintain your new habits. For more information and to see our before and after pictures, follow out House of Color Louisville, that's color with a U, on Instagram. And drop them a message that we, the CZL chicks, sent you their way. See you there. Right. Yay, we're on. You're live. Woo. Yay. Well, friends, we are so excited. We are welcoming Vanessa Kroll Bennett. She is the founder and owner of Dynamo Girl. We are so excited because she's going to walk us through today the very touchy topic, very exciting topic of 
puberty. <laughs> so, so we, but it's better than it seems. Yeah, I yes, promise. I know. We um, when we first heard of Vanessa, she was on another podcast, and I mean, I was doing my grocery shopping and was literally stopping in my tracks, and people were like, "Ma'am," I'm like, "Sorry, this is a good one. I gotta keep going." <laughs> no, this is so good. So I was, I couldn't digest this podcast fast enough. I loved everything that you said. I was hanging on every word. I'm like, "Tell me more." Um, so I thought, well, if I feel this strongly about this. You know, I, our I know that our Zen community would love this conversation too. So thank you, Vanessa, for joining us today and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I, I started Dynamo Girl about six years ago in New York City, and it was inspired by my daughter and the need for her to have fun, positive girl sports classes. And for many years, we ran the sports classes as a way to build girls' self-esteem. And not, we weren't building elite athletes, we were engaging all girls um, in seeing themselves as athletes. And pretty quickly, we realized that the girls we were coaching were starting to develop and starting puberty earlier than we expected them to. So um, we were coaching girls anywhere from four to 11, and we saw that like our eight-year-old girls at Dynamo Girl were starting to develop. And so my colleague, Mary Patrani and I decided we wanted, if we were going to build more confident girls, part of that would be teaching them about their bodies and helping them understand puberty. And as importantly, helping their parents understand puberty. So we started running uh, puberty workshops for girls and their parents in New York and later in Los Angeles. And have also worked with schools on developing their um, puberty and health and human development curriculum. Um, and in the pandemic, everything went virtual. So we've been doing parenting workshops, puberty workshops, and we've also started working with parents of boys and running puberty workshops for parents of boys. Um, and I, even though I started a company called Dynamo Girl, I actually have three boys age 10, 15, and 18, and I have one daughter, my the original Dynamo, who is almost 13. Um, so although my company was focused originally on girls, my home life is um, a real mix of males and females and a lot of puberty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I is yeah. like overcome with puberty in there. You're like, <laughs> this is a topic all the time, I'm sure, in the house. Constant, constant. Yes. Um, and I'm married to an Englishman. So um, for okay. those of you who have partners who maybe are less comfortable talking about puberty, you can come my way because someone who was raised in England in the 70s and 80s, that is definitely a hard topic. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 I feel like, like we don't talk about it. <laughs> you live with your toughest critics. So you're, you're versed on this like through and through. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's willing and eager, but it's, you know, we are coming from very different starting points. I grew up in a house where, um, what's happening to me. I don't know if you guys read that book or where did I come from? Those were sort of eighties Bibles, kids, puberty books. We like, I used to read those on sleepovers with my friends and my had parents who talked really openly about real, really a mom who talked really openly about puberty. And, you know, my husband, I don't think he was ever taught that, you know, anatomical terms. Um, Cause you didn't do that in, in that, in that era, particularly in England. I think yeah. you're just left to your own devices. You're like, here, 
here you go, figure it out by yourself. Right. I mean, and you've talked a lot about like those narratives and breaking down like your own baggage coming to the conversation. Absolutely. Um, which I thought was groundbreaking because I know that I'm not only reactive, but I'm bringing everything that I had in my past to the conversation. So how do we help to overcome that? Just even beginning to talk about it. So one of the things we do in our workshops is to help adults name the baggage they're bringing, um, they're bringing to the experience of parenting their kids through puberty. So um, we kind of, we call it leaving your baggage at the door. And what we do is we have them take a minute or two and get like a post-it note. I like the neon post-it notes and we just have them write down kind of a seminal memory from puberty. And we don't, you know, it, it can be positive. It can be negative. It can be neutral. And then we give them an opportunity to, to share that memory either in, in breakout rooms when we're virtual or in small groups when we're in person and just naming, I mean, like anything, naming the feeling, naming the experience takes away so much of its power. And so we have folks do that and we give them an opportunity to talk about not only the memory or the experience, right? Of a, a, a first, um, when they first got their periods with men, we find it's often they've had their first um, wet dream. Um, and that's really kind of frightening and, and, and strange for them because no one ever prepared them or talked to them about it. Um, sometimes it's really positive. Like we, we ran a workshop recently where a woman talked about her father writing her letter at camp when she got her, pu when she got her period and how much he told her how much he loved her and how proud he was of her. Um, I will say the positive memories are typically a smaller percentage of the memories than the sort of more complex, harder memories. And that's part of the reason it's really important to get people to name it and put it to the side because the goal is not to bring those experiences and memories into the job of, of parenting our own kids through puberty. Um, and so I think for, for anyone listening, like if you are feeling worried or stressed, get a post-it note and write it down maybe call a friend and say, Hey, I'm doing this exercise. I'd love for you to like be my buddy on this. Can, can we each write down a memory and, and talk about it um, because then it, you know, it's something you get to share and it sort of unburdens you in a way that by carrying it inside of you, you never let, you never get to put it down um, until you, until you name it and, and you share it. Oh, I love that. I think that's a, a really unique way to kind of identify, but also release that shame that comes along with the, you know, the, secret, if you will, that you keep carrying. I mean, once you put it down in a piece of paper, you're right. Like you, you name it and it doesn't, you're not allowing that power to manifest inside anymore. Exactly. Um, so what are, as far as introducing the puberty talk to your kids, how young would you say or recommend starting that conversation in your house? So before they're even approaching puberty, there's some, a lot of things we can do with our kids when they're, you know, preschool age. So, or even younger than that. So if we're changing diapers, using the anatomically correct terms for, you know, using the term penis, using the term vagina, some of us are really comfortable using the correct anatomical terms. And for some of us, it's really uncomfortable. 
Um, and we all have different starting points in this journey. And that's really critical to recognize and to kind of take the pressure off. I mean, the first time someone uses the word penis with their toddler, it might feel really hard and really uncomfortable and that's okay. But like anything else, it's about building the muscle with ourselves so that we can help our kids build the muscle. So as young as sort of babies or preschool using correct um, terminology. Um, another place we like to start with the younger kids is around the issue of consent. So, you know, those of us who grew up um, in the 80s and 90s, we, or even the 2000s, we think of consent at the having to do with sexuality or even just sex. But the reality is consent is actually about establishing boundaries around ourselves and respecting the boundaries that other people set. So, when you have a four-year-old, um, that four-year-old may really want to hold her best friend's hand, but her best friend may not want to hold hands right at that moment. And so saying to that child, hey, you know what? I'm noticing from Shannon's face that she doesn't want to hold hands right now. So I'm going to suggest that you ask her if you can hold hands, right? So again, creating a scenario where they're respecting other people's boundaries and it has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with that. Um, another great way to help our kids establish their own boundaries is in family settings. So many of us go to Thanksgiving or Christmas celebrations and the kids are seeing people they haven't seen in a long time. And there's this expectation that they should hug and kiss them, right? So Brittany, go give uncle so-and-so a hug or go give auntie so-and-so a kiss, except that tells our kids that they're required to give affection when they may not feel comfortable or ready to give affection. And so one of the things we do in our family is saying, you know, would you like to, or are you comfortable? Or what I do with my own nieces and nephews is I ask them permission before I give them a hug or give them a kiss. Now in COVID and pandemic, it's different because people are just generally less affectionate, but we will, God willing, get back to a time when people can actually you know, hug each other. So I will say, Hey, do you mind if, if I give you a hug or do you mind if I give you a kiss on the head? And that not only elicits their permission, but it also models for them what appropriate adult behavior is. So they have something to compare it to, as opposed to the adult who will go in for the hug without checking to see if it's okay. Um, so so things like consent, things like anatomical body parts, those are great places to start with kids much younger than we like ever thought. Um, and then, so girls, the average onset for girls for puberty is like, can be as early as seven or eight um, up through 14. So there's a really um, wide window of when puberty can begin. Um, but the goal is that we start talking about it, not after it's already happened, but we give them, you know, some preparation, some lead up time, some information ahead of time. Um, and so you might feel that you want to start a little bit earlier with females than with males, because the average onset of male puberty begins closer to like 10 to 14. So it's a little bit, a little bit later. Um, and I think, you know, you start with the factual information, right? So you, hopefully they understand the anatomy. Hopefully they understand um, both the internal and external 
female reproductive organs, male reproductive organs. Um, you know, maybe you use a diagram or I actually have, <laughs> I have a little uterus model that we use for our workshops. Um, I also have a little stuffed uterus. I was going to ask you about that. I'm like, is yeah. that a fallopian tube I see behind you? little fallopian tube and ovaries and it can be um, heated up like a little heat eating pads. So for cramps or tummy aches, but like having a little stuffed, um, uterus in the house, again, sort of takes away some of the stigma of like that. It's, you know, not something you talk about. So I, I like to begin with the anatomy, um, and, um, not letting the kids on some level lead the conversation. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have felt this way, but there's like this pressure that people feel to like do it all at once. Um, and I think, you know, it's really important that we take the pressure off ourselves to say, okay, we're going to have one, one conversation, maybe it's five minutes long, and then we will circle back. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have, do you, either of you have a story where you've been, asked or approached by one of your children and you're like, okay, um, so this would have been pre pandemic. So like when my oldest who at the time would have been nine, um, she, it was like nine 30 at night. So she was already in bed. I'm using air quotes on that. Um, but you know, I hear her at the top of the stairs and she's like, mom, I have a question. And you know, my husband and I are watching TV downstairs. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, what's up? And she's like, what's a period? And my husband's eyes just get like huge. He's like, are we going to do this now? And I'm like, she's asking, we can't say no. Like, yes, we have to do this now. And I was like, do you mean like at the end of a sentence? <laughs> He's like, no, mom, not that kind of period. I was like, okay, yeah, well, come on down. Let's, let's talk. And, you know, she was reading, um, I think one of like the babysitters club, like they read to them. In the oh Yeah. And I love this series because it's introducing a lot of things for the kids, but like yeah. their generation. And, you know, she's like, one of these characters is getting her period. And she's like, am I going to get my period? And I'm like, well, yes, one day you will. And she's like, what is it? And I was like, okay, well, have a seat. And, you know, we started talking about, you know, like this is your reproductive as your organs as a woman. And this is, you know, your body's way of saying, you know, you're, it's, it's ready and it can start having a baby and this is what your body is designed to do. And she's like, her mate, and all she could hear this whole conversation is, does it hurt? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, it can. Um, right. Like sometimes it, you, some women feel like it's more painful than others. And she's like, does it hurt you? And I'm like, some months it does. Mm -hmm. She's like, how does it hurt? I mean, she, like she doesn't have a high tolerance for pain anyway. So for her, all she hears is period equals pain. And mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it just, it just kind of depends. And like, for you, it might not hurt. And for you, it might hurt worse than some other, your friends. And so that was kind of like the intro of the period conversation. And she just left with such like a, a happy smile of like, okay, I have some answers. And mm -hmm. then progressively became more of like, well, what happens if I get my period at school? And I was like, okay, well, you know, we will have a little period pack in your backpack for you. And she's like, do they make panties for your period? Mm. Like, you're lucky because they, they do. do. I mean, <laughs> we didn't have this growing up, but like I still want some as a, as a as adult, I know. I'm like, this is, these are amazing. Um, so we're now in that 
in this, the quest for the perfect pair because they're not all created the same. And no. they're, they're very, is what a great concept they are, but they're not very comfortable. So that's another thing of like, okay, we're getting into this realm of this new, you know, unexplored territory, but we also have to introduce a comfort level for these kids too of like, okay, yes, the period panties are meant for you not to have to wear a pad or a tampon, but they're very uncomfortable. So like, what do we do about that? So I'm like, okay, there's, so there's many challenges that are, you know, been presented with this. And she's like, well, what do you use? And I'm like, well, I use a tampon. She's like, I am not. And she's like, do you put that in your butt? And I was like, no, honey, you don't, you know, (laughs) like this goes, you know, in your vagina. And um, she's like, how does it work? And I was like, well, you know, and I pulled out the tampon. I'm like, I'll show you. She's like, where is that going? And I was like, well, (laughs) again, this is going inside your vagina. And she's just like, there's no way I'm doing that. And I'm like, you don't have to, there are plenty of options for you out here. There, you know, there's absolutely no pressure for you to ever use a tampon if you never want to use one. She's like, she's like, no, thanks. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think it's so important for them to feel like they have choices and that there's not only one way of doing things. I mean, that's true of parenting in general, right? It's like the minute our kids feel like they have options, the world feels less stressful and more open. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that she, it came from her. I mean, that's for some parents, that's easiest when the kids begin the conversation for other parents, that's actually really intimidating because they feel like, oh my God, I have to like know the answer and I have to get everything right. And I have to like give her a full brain dump. Um, But it's when it comes from their curiosity and in some ways it's a little bit easier when they're younger because she doesn't yet have, there's no like stigma or shame for her. She's young enough to like be curious about it and feel like it's relevant to her life without feeling like it's kind of, oh God, there's so much baggage and it's so embarrassing and, and all of that. Um, I think, so it's interesting girls often that there are two main worries. One is about the discomfort or the pain. Um, and the other is about the logistics. So her question about like, what if I, right. What if I I get it at school? What if I get it at a sleepover? What if, and helping them feel prepared logistically, um, is super, super, super critical. I cannot stress enough how much that is a worry, not only for girls, but for boys too. Like, what if I get a boner in class and then the bell rings and I have to get up and I have a boner, right? So it's like all of those things, um, they worry about very practical logistical things. And the more we can help them feel prepared and knowledgeable and like they've got all their bases covered, the less stressful it is, you know, what if I leak? What if I don't have an extra pair of leggings in my bag? What if I don't have a pad? Who do I ask? Um, what does the nurse have pads? Does the principal have, you know, all of those questions feel really big to them. And so the fact that you didn't dismiss them, the fact that you just like met her where she was and empowered her is like the best thing you could have done to make her feel calmer and less and less worried about it yeah she's my anxious child anyway so Mm. always like the more the more checks you can give her off her Mm -hmm. question list like the more at ease she's gonna feel about it and I she was starting to get like super curious because I think some of her friends in school were starting to 
um, you know, to get, and she's in fifth grade now um, mm-hmm. and she's, she always gives me the, the rundown of like, mom, you know, so-and-so started her period. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, how's she doing? Are you checking in on her? You know, how's she feeling? And right. so I, like, I think she feels a little bit more comfortable. I think for her, she's just glad she didn't go first because I think she wanted to see like, you go first. Is it okay in there? Like what's, right. what's going to happen? Um, right. But I think for her, I think she just feels a little bit more like, okay, got, mom's got some answers or at least the ones that I, I need checked off to feel like comfortable to go forward with this whole period thing. And I also think in households where there are dads as well as mom, where there are brothers as well as sisters, um, kind of normalizing, normalizing it for your whole family. So like, even if your husband wasn't answering the questions, he was sitting in the room while you answered her question. So he's like a witness to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my boys, I'll often try to have these conversations if it's okay with my daughter, you know, in front of them and not make them feel like, not make her feel and not make my boys feel like it's only the prominence of females. Um, I mean, I had this hilarious experience. I had been out all day and had my period and was running around and I could tell that I was like, and I was not wearing my things underwear and I could tell my tampon was like about to leak. Right. Yes. (laughs) Right. And I hadn't seen my 15 year old all day and he really wanted to talk to me about something that had happened in school. And I was like, sweetheart, I really want to talk about this, but my tampon is literally about to start leaking. Like give me five minutes and I will be back. And he was like, oh, okay. And that felt, I included him in the conversation without sort of hiding it or lying about it. And um, he, interestingly, his friends, his female friends have said to him like, oh, I feel so crummy. I have my period. I feel like crap, you know? So I, there was a time when I mentioned that I had my period and he was really worried about me. How are you feeling? Are you okay? You know, the girls told me it's really awful. And on that perspective, I wanted to normalize that. I was like going about my day and about my business and working out and going to work and, you know, all that. And I said, no, I'm okay. And it was so sweet. A few days later, he was like, mom, how are you doing? And I didn't know what he was talking about. Cause I was like, oh, I'm fine. And I realized he wanted to know if I still have my period and did I feel okay. And so we kind of revisited it and I normalized it again. Um, but I think having everyone in your household, part of the conversation, um, again, removes the stigma, removes the shame. Yeah, um, I totally agree with this. I, I got caught out at Disney World, at Animal Kingdom, and I started <gasps> my period on a vacation and it started pouring down rain. We were in <sighs> line. I was literally about to bleed through my pants. I started oh, out because like, we're in line. Like, what are we going to do? We're, it was, it was a nightmare. So I, I was very, at this point I lost my shit, but also I was like, very honest. I was like, I need a tampon like now. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, at that point, like you couldn't find one and like the boys, which are nine and eight, they, and I had to be kind of honest, but like at that point, you're just, you're just facilitating the questions as yeah. best you can. Yeah. I, all I did was just say, I have my period. It happens to girls. I need a tampon now. We couldn't find one. I had to go to the bathroom. Long story short. But from there, they have been like, okay. And so I have tampons sitting out and I mm-hmm. have sitting out and I will tell them like, okay, 
I tell them I need privacy because our bathroom's kind of open. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I need privacy right now. Um, I have my period and they're like, oh, okay. Okay, mom. Gotcha. So it's been a step forward, but yeah. it's not been like off the table because I'm like, listen, this just happens to women. And this was so weird because just yesterday, Luna comes up to my five-year-old. She's like, mom, what? do am I going to get a period and I was like yes you are yes you are I love that I mean because yes. it's been normal she's like oh so like when and I was like well I don't know I was like it's maybe 10 maybe 14 somewhere in there you have a long time you have a lot of yeah to do. she's like oh okay <laughs> that was it right and that's I mean that's such a great example sometimes they have one question they just need like one short answer and then they are happy to go about their day. Like they don't need a whole long conversation. It's my with, yeah. <laughs> right. Like you're like, yeah, soon. I mean, not soon, like, you know, sometime in this age range. And then she was fine. Like it wasn't going to happen tomorrow. Fine. I don't need to worry about it. I just like, I got the information I needed. And I think so often people feel this incredible pressure to do like a deep dive on the puberty conversation when really our kids aren't looking for a 45 minute conversation. They're looking for one or two pieces of information and then they want to get on with their day. And I think that takes the pressure off us and it also meets them where they are. No four or five-year-old wants to have a 45 minute conversation about anything unless it's like, their American girl doll or, you know, their new Lego construction. Um, and I think that's a great example of where you meet them where they are and then you just, you know, you move on. Yeah. Um, because like our families are so close. I mean, our, our kids are within like seven months of each other. Our middle kids are, they had the exact same due date, but they're six days apart. So like they don't know a life without each other. And we always joke that I'm like, yeah, you have two brothers and a little sister. They just live next door. So it's, you know, like, but there's, there's always going to be like a mix of swans and Kesslers in somebody's house. So it was just as important for me to talk about, you know, the female anatomy and, you know, puberty as it is the male anatomy because like her two boys, I feel like are like my two boys. And I want to know, you know, if they ever have questions for me, I'm like, okay, you know, I want to make sure that I have the right answers, but I also want to make sure that my girls understand that the boys are going through the same thing, Yeah, but on their, like, you know, in their own way. So that was always a non-negotiable for me, you know, from the beginning. I'm like, no, I love these boys. And like, I want them to understand like, you know, how this operates on both sides of the coin, not just this is only a girl thing or this is only a boy thing. And I think culturally, there's a lot of like, oh, it's much worse for girls or like it's brutal for girls and boys are fine when really it's less visible for boys, but they still have their own roller coaster journey. They still have their worries and insecurities. They still have a massive transformation that they're going to go through all different pressures and expectations about what that transformation should be like and look like and feel like. And so by, by embracing the conversation for kids of, of both biologically, both genders, it says, Hey, we're all going through this. It is a universal experience. It is emotional and complex for all of us. And it puts us all on sort of an equal footing as opposed to, oh, girls, it really sucks for you. And oh, boys, you'll be just fine. We're not even going to bother talking about it. Because really, it's a big deal for everyone. 
Um, and for parents of everyone who are willing to say, hey, this is tough on my son. Maybe he's an early bloomer. Maybe he's a late bloomer. And that brings with it, you know, real complexities um, as much as it does for, for, for girls. So I love that you guys are addressing it. I mean, what's interesting is when you live in a tight community or you have close friendships or your kids have close friendships, sometimes we are sharing information with our own children that parents of other children may feel less comfortable sharing. And so sometimes when I tell my kids certain things, unless I know that that other parent is comfortable with that information, I may say, hey, you know, we talk about things like about puberty in our family this way, but every family makes their own choices about how they talk about it. So I would actually prefer that you not go out and advertise this information to your whole fifth grade class because other parents may not be ready yet. So kind of making sure you're checking in with your friends and your peers and, and, and knowing whether it's okay that you are another trusted adult in their lives to be able to give their kids information. Yeah. I remember when our kids asked about, and this is probably over the summer, like, you know, physically, where do babies come from? And mm-hmm. we're going to have this conversation. Um, and I remember distinctly telling them, I'm like, I'm happy to share what I know with you, mm-hmm. but not every family feels comfortable talking about it right now. And it's like Santa Claus. It, right. Like you, right. you know, when you want to say <laughs> and how you want to say it, but like, it's not up to, you know, you as my kids to tell totally. them, well, this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. Cause an, another family may not feel comfortable with the language we use and it may not be comfortable right now, you know, where they are to talk about this. So, right. Oh, okay. And I was like, and this, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like this is not, right. you should, you know, be feel shameful of like having this information. It's just, you have to be respectful. And we talk a lot about boundaries in our house too. I'm like the boundaries of other families just are different yeah. than ours. And that's yeah. it. So one of our Dynamo Girl classes, one of a virtual class, one of the girls announced that there was no tooth fairy in the class. And my coach was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And they got into this whole thing and she had to like email the parents and say, I'm so sorry, but someone told your daughters there's no tooth fairy. And it was very upsetting. So like, and that's the tooth fairy, right? That's not even like how are babies get made or what's the period or what's a, you know, what are breasts or whatever. So yeah, I think, I think creating that kind of boundary and expectation is really, and, and at the same time, making sure they understand there's no shame. It's just like every family does it differently. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about one thing, um, pivoting slightly. So in, um, in our culture, I think that pornography and masturbation, well, actually they're two different things, but pornography has been introduced a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. um, especially since the pandemic. And that's something mm-hmm. I was not aware of yeah. I'm not quite there yet. And um, how do we enter into those conversations? Because everything is digital. Everyone kind of has their own device. Um, and as well as talking about masturbation and normalizing that as well. So it's interesting because they say pre-pandemic, they said the average exposure um, to pornography for boys was the age of 10. And um, by the by high school, something like 95% of males will have at least seen, if not are you know, watching pornography regularly. So I had this experience where I knew, and I've talked to my older boys about pornography. Um, but I realized I have a 10 year old boy sitting in my house who's on a computer or a device all the time. 
And I had never specifically addressed it with him. Um, and so this was only a few weeks ago. And I said, Hey buddy, um, I'm wondering like, what do you know about pornography? Right. So I didn't directly ask him, have you seen, do you know what it is? Um, you should never watch it. Right. Because I don't know if he's been accidentally exposed to it. Um, I don't know if he knows anything about it and I don't want him to feel, um, worried or concerned that he doesn't, I don't want him to feel attacked or defensive. So I frame it, the prompt, and that's the kind of prompt I use. I try to use for most conversations with kids about kind of more complex topics, prompts like, what do you know about? Have you heard of? Have you ever noticed? Um, things like that, which come, I like to say they come in through the side door rather than the front door, right? It's like a gentler way in. So I said, Hey, you know, what do you know about pornography? And he said, Oh, I've seen pornography and I'm, you know, deep breath because here's my 10 year old baby. Like I've seen pornography. And I said, Oh, how did you see it? Again, I didn't freak out. I didn't shout at him. Um, I didn't lose my mind. Oh, how did you, you know, how did you see it? And he said, Oh, well, I searched up Pornhub. Okay. How did you know to search up Pornhub? Oh, one of my friends told me about it. And I was curious, right? So again, it's like, it's, it's coming at him. He's getting exposure. Nobody did anything wrong. And then I said, what, what did you think of it? Right. I didn't say you never, ever, ever, ever watch pornography. It's so terrible. I didn't say, how could you, you violated all the rules in our family. Cause I never explicitly said to my 10 year old, like, don't search up Pornhub. I wish I had, but I didn't. Um, so I said, well, what did you notice? He goes, well, it was pretty weird. And the sex in it was like really different than Ace Ventura. And <laughs> I realized his touchstone for sex was Jim Carrey's sex scenes in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I don't yeah. remember the sex scenes in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I, I can only imagine how bizarre the sex scenes are in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. But the point was like yeah. that that was the 10 year old starting point. Like, oh, here's the other sex scene. I know Ace Ventura Pet Detective. So then I had a choice, right? It's like, how do I then address this topic knowing he's seen it, knowing he has some reference point, knowing I don't want him watching pornography. Um, so I basically had to choose like two points to make to him before we got out of the conversation, before I lost his interest, before he moved on to, you know, Roblox. Mm -hmm. So I just said, you know, I just want you to know that pornography is not real. It's people pretending to have sex. Um, and it's really not appropriate for kids your age to be seeing. So I'd like you to not search it up. And he was like, okay. Okay. And then, and that fine, you know, fine. And then yesterday he started talking about how hit the anime he watches, he thinks is kind of perverted and sexist. So again, he's using two really big terms. He's using the term sexist and he's using the word, the term perverted. So I needed to get at what was underneath. What did he mean by those terms? Because what I think of as perverted may not be what a 10 year old misusing a word 
And he said, well, sometimes the characters get their clothes blown off and that feels weird to me. And sometimes they're looking at pornography in the anime. So they're looking at mat pornography magazines. Now I'm not, not an anime expert at all. And that was really surprising to me, right? So that's not him looking at pornography. That's him watching an anime series on Netflix that I thought was totally fine. And actually it turns out that he's being exposed to stuff through something that seemed, um, you know, innocent to me when really he was processing what it felt like. So then, you know, then there was the conversation, okay, well, let's watch it together and let's see if maybe it's appropriate, maybe it's not appropriate. And maybe I can explain some of the stuff you've seen already. So again, it's, it's approaching, Brittany, to your question, it's approaching it without judgment. It's finding out what they already know instead of assuming that we have the same starting point because 99 times out of 100, we don't have the same starting point. The terms they're using, they may not even understand what they mean. Um, their, their interpretation may have come from a friend who gave them misinformation. Um, so we want to understand where they're coming from, what the starting point is, and we want to approach it with no judgment because we want them to keep coming back to us with questions. And if we come at them with judgment and anger, um, they're not gonna wanna come back to us. They're gonna go ask somebody else. And we want them to keep coming back to us so that we can give them the information. And so by removing judgment, removing fear, it allows them to, to come to us. I love that. And yeah. so you, you said you have two older boys. Do you? Yeah. Practice, like what you're discussing with the younger boy to the older boy so they're because they have to be a little bit prepared too is that something that we should be thinking about or are you just like I'm gonna I'm gonna take on this conversation and hopefully you've um I guess equipped the olders the old, the older. so that's a great question because um we often get the question in our workshops families who have kids with an age range right what conversations can you have in front of all of your children and what conversations need to be had like privately with your older kids or with your younger kids. And um, so my older kids, I, I actually feel like I have been better in some ways at proactively having the conversations with them because it's like my first time and I'm really conscious like, Oh, he's 10. I need to talk about this. Oh, he's 12. I need to talk about this. And, um, you know, you assume your younger kids pick it up by osmosis until you realize that there's things you completely forgot to teach them or cover with them because you just assumed that, you know, that they would pick it up as they go along. So my older boys, um, I will often say to them, Hey, this is something I'd prefer, you know, things around drugs and alcohol conversations we've had, which are appropriate to have with an 18 year old are not really appropriate to have with a 10 year old. So I'll say to them, Hey, you know what guys, like, I, this is something I want us to talk about, but I don't necessarily want to talk about this in front of your younger brother, or these are words or terminology. Like the profanity is a lot more common in our house with our older kids, except they start using it with my youngest. And then he goes to school and drops an F-bomb and I have to, you know, deal with that. So I think empowering older kids um, for when things are appropriate and when they aren't 
is a really important. And again, as you said, Shannon, without shame, but it allows them the sense of like, oh, there are layers of where this conversation goes. And I am able to handle a more complex conversation. My little brother or sister is not, is not ready for it. I like that because it's asking for like respect, like, you know, hey, it's, it's important to be respectful because they're not there yet. And I think that's kind of an easy, well, yeah, hopefully an easy concept that will happen in my house. I don't know. We'll see. We well, actually, and also I think that they're, I mean, the boys will probably have these conversations at the same time frame. I mean, and honestly, her five-year-old's, she's pretty mature. So I'm, I'm she's probably going to hit up our sex talks and be like, I'm ready. I'm bringing some notes. Like, <laughs> she'll bring the flow chart with she her. Will, she'll yeah, like, she's this. like, I've got this stuff uterus at my house, Miss Shannon. I'll bring it over. Like, <laughs> Okay, sure, come on she's, over. She's pretty, yeah, she's pretty ahead yeah. of the game. I just want security too, going to like um, what you've mentioned on the previous podcast you were on. I like, you know, some kids are ready, some kids aren't. And right, one kid's going to take it differently than the other kid. Yeah, I mean, you can't, it's not one size fits all in our own homes. All of our kids are really different and are really comfortable. Some are really comfortable having these conversations and engaging in a dialogue about, puberty or even just their emotions, right? Um, And other kids are more contained, they're more reserved, they may be less comfortable having these conversations. Um, And so in my mind, there's kind of two ways of conveying information to our kids. One is this sort of your daughter at the top of the stairs shouting, you know, what's a period and when am I gonna get it, right? There's the kid who's gonna elicit information from you, who's going to ask questions, who's going to want to engage, who's going to want to like curl up on the bed for an hour late at night and talk through it all with you. And then there's the kid who, for whom that's really uncomfortable and for whom they're not going to ask the questions. They don't want to have a dialogue. Um, They may even try to shut down the conversation because it's making them uncomfortable. And So you have a different roadmap with a kid like that. Um, So a kid like that, there may be, there are certain things it's our obligation as their parents to tell them about and to teach them about. We can't depend on school, teachers, sex educators, particularly right now, as like a lot of that is not even happening with remote school or, you you know, unusual schedules during the pandemic. So there's certain things we have, it's our obligation to teach our kids, you know, using anatomical terms, teaching them that their body is their body and it's their, they get to say who touches them and who doesn't touch them, um, helping them understand what changes their bodies are going to go through. All of those things are things they have to know from us at some point or another. Um, and my rule of thumb is unless they've left the room, they are still listening. So they may, you know, have arms crossed. They may be turned completely away from us. They may have their head, they may be lying down under a blanket and not looking at us, but until they walk out of the room, they are still listening to us. And we have to remove the unrealistic expectation that they're going to engage in this like wonderfully intimate, profound conversation with us. Sometimes that's not going to happen. Sometimes they're just going to sit and listen. Um, And then there are people whose kids just shut down the conversation, right? Who are just like, I don't want to talk about this. This is so weird. I'm leaving. And they do walk out of the room. And that's really common. We get that a lot from families in our workshops. Um, And so in that, 
that case, what we recommend people say is, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to force this. I just want you to know I'm here when you want to talk about it. I am totally available um, for kids like that. Some families text back and forth. If their kids have phones, they can text questions. Other families share a notebook or a journal that they share back and forth where they can ask questions or express hard things. Um, and for the kid who says, I don't want to talk about it, you say, I'm here, I'm available. And then you circle back, right? You go back a week later or two weeks later, or maybe you use um, for really hard things. Um, like the first time I raised the issue of vaping with my oldest child, I used um, an article in the New York Times and I left it out on the kitchen table. And he actually picked it up and read it and said, oh, hey, I saw that article. And he began the conversation. So using things like articles, watching a documentary together, um, saying, Hey, I listened to this podcast and this, these folks were talking about puberty. And I was wondering like, if you knew what puberty is, or if you know what getting a period is right. So it's again, not coming at them through the front door, but coming at them through the side door and not making it about them, but making it about sort of a broader conversation. I love that. Great you, tips. Yeah. I'm like, this is so exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mentioned before about like, when things don't go the right way in a conversation, you get a do-over statement. Mm -hmm. Touch on that a little bit. Cause I mean, I feel like I want like a do-over month sometimes. I, know. I, I want a do-over year, Shannon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting. I mean, I think um, there's, there's different kinds of do-overs and um in conversations about puberty, it's not a question of if you mess up, it's a question of when you mess up. So you will never have the perfect conversation with your children about puberty. And if you have one great one, chances are the next time you have the conversation, you are going to make a mistake. So the number one thing is just to take the pressure off and not feel like it has to be perfect and not feel like it has to be like, you know, sources cited and diagrams and all of that. Um, so with, if you go into it with the expectation that you're gonna make a mistake, that's number one. Number two is if you go into it with the expectation that you're gonna have many conversations, not one conversation, it, it again, takes the pressure off and gives you the opportunity um, to break it down into bite-sized chunks, which frankly is better for kids anyways. They can't digest huge amounts of material. They can digest small bits and then that's enough. Um, and then there's kind of a couple ways in which we're going to mess up these conversations. The first way is if we're busy or we're stressed or we're not in a moment when our, our kids raise the question and we are just not mentally at a point where we can address the question in a really helpful and constructive way. So Let's say when your daughter asked you about getting her period, it was 930, um, maybe you were exhausted. Maybe you were in an intense conversation with your husband and you didn't have the bandwidth to answer her. Maybe um, you weren't feeling well, right? So there are times when we're not, we ourselves are not in a place to have a great conversation. And so um, sometimes my kids have raised stuff with me and I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. Or yeah, let's talk about it tomorrow. Or I'll give them like a really 
perfunctory response. And their question was actually not perfunctory. It was kind of more fully fleshed out. So in that case, I will come back and say to them, Hey, I'm really sorry. When you asked me that question last night, I was really distracted with something from work and I didn't give you the answer that you deserved. And I'd love to sit down now and, and properly answer your question. Right? So what I'm doing right there is I'm validating the importance of their question, right? It was an important conversation. I'm admitting that I made a mistake, which is kids love it when we admit that we make mistakes. I'm repairing, I'm going back and I'm apologizing for not giving their question the respect it deserves. And I'm now scheduling a moment to properly answer the question. So all of those things are really important when we, when we ask for a do-over. The second kind of do-over, particularly in a puberty conversation is like, maybe we gave them wrong information. Maybe we used the wrong anatomical term. Maybe we didn't explain properly what a vulva is. Maybe we forgot the word for fallopian tubes, right? There's all sorts of ways in which we can give them wrong information. Maybe we called, you know, we called something a boner and we were feeling like, oh, maybe we should have called it an erection, right? There's like all these ways in which we use the wrong terms or we don't answer the question properly. And then we circle back and we say, hey, you know what? I, I messed up when I told you X, I really should have told you why. And that's on me. And it's not something you have to apologize for. You're human. You made a mistake, but it shows them that no one knows everything and that this is confusing to everyone. And then there's an opportunity to learn together. So, Hey, can we look up again, what that word is for the tubes that go from the ovaries to the uterus? I can't remember, or um, you know, to your son, Hey, like, I can't remember exactly, um, how to spell testicles. I think I spelled it wrong when we were texting back and forth. So let's go look together, you know, the opportunity to collaborate and do it together and the opportunity to show them that no one knows all the answers and that they should feel okay. Not knowing everything because like you're an adult and you, you also don't. So those are two two ways besides the like in a pandemic and you drop the F-bomb with your child because you're so stressed out and exhausted and you just scream at them and use profanity, like in that case, which has nothing to do with puberty, right? Um, we've all been there in the last year. I will just say, you know what? I'm so sorry. That was not appropriate. It was really disrespectful. And I hope you'll forgive me. Right. And that's just like, that's just owning our shit. That's just like getting it. Um, and I had this amazing experience with my oldest, we were visiting colleges and he got food poisoning and was really, really sick. And we'd driven a ways away and we didn't get to visit the college. And we had to like pack up in the morning and just drive home. And he never saw the school and I'd taken the day off work and so on. And I was so angry at him and we were sort of two hours into the drive on the way home. And I said, Hey, you know what? I'm really sorry. That was like really crappy of me to get mad at you. You can't help it. You were sick. And he said, that's okay, mom. I knew you were really stressed out and I just needed to give you a little bit of space. And like when you had some space and calm down a bit, it would be fine. Right. And all of a sudden he feels empowered to be my partner in conversation and like to have some 
um, some say and some emotional context for that conversation, which as your kids get older and the stakes get higher and the problems get bigger to feel a partnership rather than a sort of like a one-way street is really, really powerful. I love that story yeah. because I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. We were just talking before we hopped on here. Like I just, I didn't envision having this many tantrums as an adult. Like mm-hmm. when I, you know, when I just, I lose it, I'm stressed or whatever it is. I'm just like, ah! you know, and my youngest one will call me out. She's like, mom, you're having another tantrum, aren't you? And I'm like, <laughs> I am, you see it. And I'm like, I'm, it doesn't have anything to do with you. I've just, I've hit my limit. And she's like, yep. you're tired. I get it. Like, yeah. Exactly. What empathy. That's amazing. That's incredible empathy. Yeah. She's my, uh, she's my little empath for sure. Yeah. It's like she can read a room very quickly. Oh, it's the best. You know, and, and through this, like, I, you know, these conversations, you're, they're coming to you, not as like an expert, but uh, just guidance. And mm-hmm. you've been here before. And something that makes me a little uneasy is that, you know, they're going to ask me questions that, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to answer really mm-hmm. to my personal experiences, you know, about sex, about whatever. And while I am an open book for the most part, there's a time, there's a place, and there's also my privacy. Yeah. So I, how do you navigate that, those difficult things and still keep that door open for them to come back and ask you questions? That's a great question. And it's something that a lot of people really struggle with. Um, One is feeling like, oh, I don't know enough. And I will say to those folks, you can always look it up together, right? You don't want to send your kids off to the internet to look up penis because God knows what's going to come up, but you know, you can have books around, you can look together. Um, And they're, again, that's empowering the kids that no one is an expert, right? Even though our parents are meant to be omniscient, when we admit to them, we are not omniscient. That's actually a great feeling for them. So, um, but point number two about our, our own privacy, our own histories, our own experiences through puberty and later sexuality. Um, I had a really interesting experience with my daughter a couple of years ago she was of course going to bed, prolonging the process, wanting to have a conversation. And she asked me how old I was when I lost my virginity. And, you know, you, we want to feel that our kids can come to us with any questions, but it's also our right to draw boundaries and have privacy about our current lives, our own histories. So I took a minute and you can always buy yourself time you can repeat the question. You can take a deep breath, right? It's like, you can stall. You're allowed to stall. Um, so I made sure I understood her question. I took a deep breath and I said to her, you know, that's actually something, pri- I'm, uh, something private to me. You can always ask me any question, but it's actually my choice whether I answer that question or not. And with this question and your age, I'm actually going to choose not to ask not to answer that question, but I don't want you to feel like you can't come and ask me anything. I just may sometimes choose to answer and other times choose to keep it private. And she didn't feel shut down. She didn't feel, you know, scolded or shamed, but I made it clear that that wasn't a conversation I felt comfortable having with her. And I think often parents feel this pressure 
to tell their kids everything. Like if they're going to have open lines of communication that they need to tell them everything when that's not the case, we still have the right to have boundaries and to choose to keep things private. Sometimes that's actually really important for our kids that there are things we keep private because sometimes adults tell kids too much and that can feel overwhelming. That can feel frightening. Um, and so it's perfectly within our rights to just establish our privacy and establish like your kid, your boys know that you have your period, but they also know they're not welcome in your bathroom when you're changing your tampon, right? Like that's a boundary that you have set without placing shame on a particular topic. Yeah. I love that. I mean, in all honesty, I'm like, gosh, that's an option. You don't have to tell them everything. That's yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I'm just naturally a private person and mm-hmm. you know, I, and I want that discernment when I tell people things. And yeah. so just coming from that very guarded place, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't, I, I literally don't want to, I, I want to make the call. Right. Um, so that has been something very kind of uneasy for me and age-wise. So, you know, you've been, when you're this, oh, when you're 30, 35, 40, 45, you've been through some stuff and I, mm-hmm. you know, so I need to navigate that a little bit carefully because I, um, I also don't want to open a door that doesn't need to be opened. Yeah. It's quite uh, like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, even like, you know, people that you were in relationships with in your past, you know, your kids will ask a million questions about that. You get to decide if you share that information with them or not. And that's perfectly within your right. I mean, again, everyone has a different starting place, whether it's their natural personality, whether it's their life experience, whether it's what was modeled for them in their childhoods, how their parents talked about, um, puberty or relationships or didn't talk about puberty or relationships. So I don't think there's anything wrong. It doesn't all have to be personalized. It doesn't all have to be based on our own stories and our own histories. It can be based on data, on science. Um, But I do believe, and research proves out that children who um, know the names of all of their body parts who um, understand how their bodies work, have a better sense of self, and they actually develop less sexual and bodily shame. And so it's not just, um, it's not just about like open lines of communications with our kids. There's actually a safety component to making sure that our kids know all the parts of their bodies and how they work because it connects them to their bodies and if there are things, if there are body parts we don't mention, that sort of confers shame on those body parts, not by actively shaming them, but an act of omission. By not naming those things, kids will assume that there's something shameful. Um, My colleague loves to crib um, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, where he talks about that which is mentionable is manageable. So things that we name, things that we talk about become manageable, but there's no one way to talk about them. So the two of you, even though you're close and do this podcast together, may have very different pathways to talking to your kids about their bodies based on your own comfort level and your own experience and your own partners. 
Um, so I think that's critical that people shouldn't feel there's only one way to talk to their kids about, about puberty. Yeah. I love, and I love that Mr. Rogers quote, that was one of the things I took away the first time or the first podcast I listened to you on, but something else that you said, because again, I was in the grocery store when I was listening to you, you had said, you know, um, what happens when you ask a group of 40 year old women, like when you say the word vaginal discharge, what happens? And then when you ask that to an eight-year-old, what happens? And it's the same. Is you know, well, the the forty-year-olds <laughs> usually laugh, and the eight-year-olds they freak like, out. What what is that? And when I got home that day from the grocery store, my youngest, who is eight, um, she had been complaining of like a stomach ache, and immediately from your podcast, I was like honey, do you know what vaginal discharge is? And she's like, no, mom, what is that? So, you know, I explained like what this was. And because in my mind, I'm like, okay, we've been through the list of like why your stomach hurt, but it never occurred to me, like maybe this is a UTI. Maybe this mm. is like a, a world we haven't even, you know, done right. yet. So, and she was like, I do have vaginal discharge. And my 10 year old popped up and she's like, I have that too. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Great, great. Let's, let's, let's talk about let's it. Let's talk about it. That's amazing. It's just one of those things I was like, you know, unpacking the groceries and it was just kind of a, yeah. by the way, this is, you know, this is what happens. And, you know, it just was one of those things that they were both, I think, relieved to know that A, I, I had an answer, but B, that they both had, you know, yes. you know, had the same, same thing happen, you know, in their panties. And they're like, that's what that is. And I'm like, mm-hmm. totally normal. Like I get it. And you, like all women get it. Right. I know. Right. Why don't we not talk like you, you are your own web MD. Like right. you <laughs> have no idea. Only you know what's going on in your right. body. Like, right. And this is like what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed mm-hmm. to smell like. This is how you know you're sick. Hello. That would have saved me so many doctor's trips if I would have. Totally. Yeah. And imagine if you're an eight eight-year-old and all of a sudden the stuff starts showing up in your underwear and no one told you about it and no one talks to you about it for several years mm-hmm. you think oh well there must be something wrong with me unless you know maybe you have a girlfriend you can say hey what is this stuff but I, I girls I knew never talked about no. we never talked about vaginal discharge even if we were willing to talk about other stuff um And that's the perfect example of why it's so great if we can start to talk about stuff earlier, before the shame sets in, before the stigma sets in, um, rather than waiting until we think they're quote unquote ready, when really it's been going on for a while and the sort of societal pressures and expectations have had time to set in and then they feel embarrassed by it. Like, an eight-year-old feels very little embarrassment. A 12-year-old feels a lot of embarrassment. And so we want to get there earlier before that, before that happens. But what I will say is if there are people listening who have a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or older, it's never too late to have the conversation. I think we hear from so many parents who are like, oh, that ship has sailed. It's too late. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's never too late because we are living in our bodies our entire lives. And even if we wish we'd had the information earlier, we still can use the information for ourselves, for our friends. Um, And so for those folks who feel like it's too late, it's never, ever too late. We can always have the conversation and it will be, you know, more sophisticated, more complex, but the conversation can still 
happen and it will happen over and over again. Even the conversation you had with an eight and 10 year old about vaginal discharge when they're 12 and potentially, you know, approaching their period and vaginal discharge gets much heavier and much more consistent in the months, months leading up to a first menstruation, then you really want to be having it. Or if you've had it, then they know to say, Hey mom, I have a lot more discharge. What does that mean? And then you'll know, okay, here we go. That, that could be a sign. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. It is. It's so great. And Vanessa, we will, we won't take up any more of your time, but you've been so generous to give us all this time on a Sunday. On and a Sunday. I know this has been great, <laughs> but can you tell our listeners where they might connect with you um, on social media or how they get in touch with you? Great. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Um, you can find me at dynamogirl.com where we have our classes and workshops and you can subscribe to my newsletter uncertain parenting and i will send you guys the link to um, sign up for uncertain parenting and that's really focused on um, parenting tweens and teens during this time so i use research and experts and my own anecdotes to help parents feel like they are not alone parenting through a pandemic and parenting kids who are going through puberty and evolving in adolescence because it can feel really lonely and overwhelming sometimes. And the reality is we are all in it. So I will send you the information for that as well. And this was so fun. This is the most fun I've had on a Sunday morning in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this has been great. I mean, we don't usually get, um, we don't usually talk about puberty uh, on a Sunday morning, but it was <laughs> pretty soon. You're going to be talking about puberty every Sunday morning. Um, you know, Brittany, I realized you asked a question about masturbation oh, oh, that yeah. I didn't answer. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you an answer and you guys can, I know it's, everything's out of order. You guys can choose to use oh. it or um, so The most important thing about masturbation, you know, we're not going to teach our children how to masturbate because that's a private journey that people will choose to go on or not go on. Um, The important thing is to normalize for them that there are parts of our bodies that we can touch that feel good to us on both male and female bodies. And there's nothing wrong with that. And also to make clear to them that there are times and places for it's a, where it's appropriate for us to do it and times and places where it's really left, it's better left in private. So um, we, in our puberty workshops, tell the girls what a clitoris is, um, which in our culture, often people don't talk about. And all we say is we go through the external female reproductive and sexual organs and we say, and there's this part of your body called a clitoris And its only job is that it gives you pleasure. And that's all we say. Um, And we tell parents that we're going to do that and that they should be aware. And with boys, um, you know, they get erections and that can be, if they're not prepared, that can be frightening. Or if they realize that touching their penises feels nice, they can feel ashamed of that. Um, And so our job is to just help our kids understand that they're, is a whole universe of different feelings and changes and they are all normal. And that if they have any questions about it, that they can come and ask us. 
Um, and that's really like a really simple way to address it and remove shame from it without going down a pathway that we as parents don't want to do. So if the topic of masturbation comes up, you can say, Hey, it's okay for you to choose to touch your body the way you want to, but it should be, um, in, in a private place. We don't do it out in public. Um, and we don't show parts of our body out in public that is better kept under our bathing suit, right? That's a term that a lot of educators use the places under our bathing suits is how they refer to what should be kept private. Um, because some kids, you know, they realize something feels good and all of a sudden they're touching themselves in the supermarket and in the classroom and at soccer practice. And we want to make sure they understand that, that those actually aren't places to do it while also telling them there's nothing to be ashamed of. If you have found that there's parts of your body that feel nice when you touch them. So I just wanted to circle back and address that. That's great. It's good information. Very comforting. Yeah. That's, (laughs) I I love that you were like, Oh, nope, let's go back. (laughs) But also like, you know, Hey, in public people have eyes (laughs) and we all say, you know, you kind of revert back to when you were younger, like you didn't think anybody could notice everybody. Right. (laughs) Right. Like no one notices you with your finger, like halfway up your nose. Oh yes. Everybody sees you. Politely not saying (laughs) wow, that girl, she gets a lot of real estate. Yeah, she's she's like on the knuckle all the way in. Yeah, so I think, again, it's like anything else with setting boundaries. It's it's okay to set a clear boundary that they can understand and also make sure they know there's no shame in it. And those are the the two truths that as we teach our kids about puberty that we need to hold, you know, both the boundary and the lack of shame at the same time. And that's a hard line to walk, but again, like anything else, we get better at it over time as we, as we practice it. Well, Love that it. has just been great. I know. Vanessa, you've just been such a treat. We are so, just so happy that you've been here with us. This has been great. Thank you. It's been a total pleasure. Go, let's all go parent our children now. I'm going to hide in the closet for a little bit longer. <laughs> I know. I know you guys can try on shoes. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> We do that on our off day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope you wear the same size shoe. That would be really fun. You yeah. don't. We wear the same size clothes, but shoes, uh, your feet got bigger during pregnancy. Right? Yeah. My yeah. third made my foot grow a whole size, which is you know, really inconvenient <laughs> for both of us. I'm like, yes, yeah, so that's a total bummer. But thank God you have the child, even if you have <laughs> yes. another, a higher shoe size. That was bigger. That's fine. Yes. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. This was really fun. And um, I'll email you with any more information and please feel free to reach out if anything comes up in your own families. If you hear from any listeners who, you know, want more information or clarification, I am, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So I am completely available. Very comforting. Well, thank you for having that open door policy. We appreciate that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Stay safe. Be well. Thank Thank you you. so much. (laughs) Okay. Bye guys. Take care. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Help keep the CZL momentum going by rating our podcast and writing a review. If you love what you heard in today's episode, snap a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories. Don't forget to tag us.